0: And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. The word of the Lord. Well, we're in Ephesians this morning uh, in a series called Deeper. Uh, I hope that you are reading from uh, week to week, from day to day in the book of Ephesians. If so, your Bible just kind of falls open to the book of Ephesians. I was uh, thinking about Billy Graham Uh, last week. As we all know, uh, Mr. Graham was uh, laid to rest. Uh, He was 99 years old. And uh, indeed, a very remarkable man. He planned his own funeral years ago uh, so that when the time came, everything was in order and just ready to go. And he decided that he wanted six songs to be sung at his funeral. Uh, you, might, you probably would guess at the songs that he selected. Uh, until then, all hail the power of Jesus' name. Above all, uh, Because he lives, to God be the glory, and of course, uh, amazing grace. Beth Moore was also an invited guest to uh, this private uh, funeral, and uh, she said she was so thrilled when she was driving into the parking lot to see all the trucks and the satellites, uh, which meant that this funeral would be broadcast around the world, and that the word would go out, and uh, people would hear Uh, the name of Jesus uh, at the Billy Graham funeral. Some called it his last crusade, love it, his last crusade. We would all agree, a very, very fine servant of God, and I'm sure that he arranged the funeral so that all the glory went to God. That's just who he was. There's a verse that we're going to come to this morning that reminds us of the journey that we're on the journey to our destination, which is to to be with our Father forever, to be with uh, the Lord Jesus Christ forever. It's the 10th verse of Ephesians 2 that Beth just read for us, which says, For we are God's masterpiece. For we are God's masterpiece. Perhaps you're reading workmanship. Some translations say, Work of art, you are God's masterpiece. Uh, The word is poema. Uh, We'll come back to this, but it's the word in Greek from which we get our English word, poem, poem. The Greek word literally means that which has been made or a work or a making and even translated as a poem, poetry in motion. But it doesn't just mean a poem. It, it is any work of art. It could be, a, it could be a, a, a song. It could be a piece of architecture. It could be a statue. It's a painting. It's a masterpiece. It's a work of art. F.F. F. Bruce, a commentator of yesteryear, said it's his work of art. It's his masterpiece. And we are God's works of art. Pretty honoring, isn't it? We are God's works of arts. Uh, we are the canvas on which he is painting his picture. So how do you become one of God's masterpieces? What does it mean? Do you have to be a Billy Graham? And of course the answer is no, no. Let's look at the verses 8 through 10 of Ephesians 2. I was just going to push by these verses. In fact, I was already beginning to study on verses 11 through 18, and then I just felt this little nudge, no. No, no, we need to go back again and and stop here and sit and soak a little bit in these verses. So the masterpiece, first of all, is initiated by grace. The masterpiece is initiated by grace. Paul wrote, God saved you by his grace when you believed. God saved you by his grace when you believed. That was a key time for you to see how God was painting on the canvas of your life when God saved you by his grace. A renewed painting was underway. A painting of your life, of your person, and it starts with grace. Remember the first part of chapter 2? It begins in the valley. We talked about the Badwater Basin near Las Vegas. It's, it's the valley. It's the lowest place in North America. And because of two great words, the passage is lifted higher and higher until it reaches Mount Whitney, which is about 80 miles away from, from that area uh, in, in Death Valley. And the, the words which makes the transition are those two words, but God. God, because of his amazing grace and love, reached down his hand into our hearts, and he did a work in us because of Jesus Christ. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. And now we are stirred by Paul's words in verse 8, God saved you by his grace when You believed. We all know grace is God's unmerited favor. We didn't deserve it in any way, but God loved us and he gave us grace and he gave us favor when we didn't warrant it. And you notice that it's grace through faith. It's grace that comes to you when you believe. Faith kind of opens the tap for the grace to flow into your life. It's the tap opener. Faith is something you can't see. Our, our faith journey is an unseen journey. You do see faith. Uh, you don't see faith, but you, you, you kind of see the result of faith. It's like the wind. You don't see the wind specifically, but you see the result of what the wind has done. Faith is so important in the formation of the masterpiece. So important. You, you can't see the faith, but you can see the formation of a person who has surrendered their life to Christ and surrendered their future to Him. And it, it, the picture looks like peace. The picture looks like trust and surrender. Very beautiful, intriguing painting when you by faith have received His grace. The formation of of Jesus in your life begins to take place. And people will begin to see the result of our faith and uh, God's grace. It becomes apparent in the painting. And our connection to the grace of God is simply to say, by faith, I need you, as we sang this morning, I need you, Lord, in my life. I can't do this myself. I need you. So come and take control of my life. Just before the Second World War, in the town of Itasca, Texas, a school fire took the lives of 263 children. The whole town was impacted by this devastating fire. And when the war ended, the school was rebuilt. They installed the finest sprinkler system in the world. They said, this will never happen again in our town. And so civic pride ran very high. Well, the town grew through the years after the, uh, the war, and the school needed to expand after seven years in their brand new facility. They determined that it was necessary to enlarge the school. And in adding the new wing, it was discovered that the sprinkler system had never been connected. It was there... It looked like it was fine, but the, the pipes had never been connected. an incredible story. It's a parable of what's happened in so many lives. There is a sense of knowing about God, even knowing about Jesus, even being part of a church community and making every effort to try to live for him, even the assumption that everything is well. The school looks good. Our life looks good on the outside. Who would have ever known there wasn't a connection? The sprinklers weren't hooked up. Everything appears to be all right, but it was an illusion. It wasn't real. It wouldn't have worked. It's the grace through faith that's the connection. The masterpiece is initiated by grace. God saved you by his grace When you believed. So God gives the grace for the transformation. Our role is to believe him and to trust him and to open our hearts by faith and simply receive him. Secondly, the masterpiece is not created by human effort. You can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. I love the story of Sir Isaac Newton. It's back in the 17th century. It's said that he made an exact replica of our solar system in miniature form. At its center was a large golden ball representing the sun, and revolving around it were smaller spheres attached at the end of rods of varying lengths. And they represented the planets of the universe, Mercury, Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, and so on, all the planets. And they were all geared together by cogs and belts to make them move around the sun in perfect harmony. Well, one day, as uh, Newton was studying the model, a friend of his who did not believe in God, who in fact was a declared atheist, stopped by for a visit. And this man was a a man who very much uh, ruled out God's involvement in any part of our existence, in any part of creation. But when he walked in and he saw the device, and as he watched the rotation of the planets around the sun, he sputtered and said, Mr. Newton, what an amazing thing. Who made it for you? Without looking up, Sir Isaac replied, nobody. Nobody. Nobody, his friend asked. Newton said, that's right. I said, nobody. All of these balls and cogs and belts and gears just happened to come together and wonder of wonders by chance they began revolving in in their set orbit with perfect timing. Nobody, said Newton. His friend got the message. Touché, good one point well made nobody oh really oh there is a designer there is a creator from the creation of the world to the way we live our lives from day to day I mean we can brush by God we can say it just happened I don't know or in some cases we say I did that that was me that's what I accomplished Paul says You can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. The very most important thing in your relationship with God, and even that, is not your own doing. It's God's doing. It's His grace. And you can't take credit for it. It's a gift. How many have been in an airplane this last month? Oh, a number of people. You get in those airplanes all the time. I mean, we just never think about it anymore. We can travel from uh, here to Toronto in a few hours. Maybe, what is it, four? A little bit more, I'm not sure. How foolish to walk down the jetway after arriving in Toronto and say, I did it! Boy, my arms are tired, but I did it! I'm the one who brought myself here. You would say to me, Ken, I think uh, we're going to have to put you away somewhere. You're not doing well. You didn't do it. I didn't do it. I just got in the plane and sat down, buckled up, and trusted the laws of aerodynamics, which I don't even understand. All I can see is when I board a a, a big plane like this is sure is big. How in the world is that thing going to stay up in the the air? It is so big and heavy. I, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't have packed so much in my suitcase. No, I never think of that, really. Neither does my family. <laughs> Just a joke. And those two guys up in the cockpit, I don't even know them. I sure hope they know what they're doing because I'm, I'm counting on them. Muhammad Ali, the famous boxer, when he was at the height of his career, he, was a, he had a streak of arrogancy about him. And he got on an airplane, first class, he decided that he was not going to buckle up his seatbelt. The flight attendant walked up to him and said, excuse me, sir, you need to put on your seatbelt. He said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. She stopped and looked at him and said, Superman don't need no airplane. (laughs) Put on your seatbelt. We all need an airplane to get from here to there. And all we have to do is snap on the seatbelt. We need help to get us from earth to heaven. And we have to believe in someone whom we have never met physically. I mean, we couldn't pick him out of the crowd if he was sitting among us today because he would look like any one of us. But he's the pilot, and I'm the passenger, and you're the passenger. And he flies you from earth to heaven, and he's never lost a passenger, nor will he ever. Billy Graham, maybe he could have boasted a little bit. Ah, but no, he knew differently too. It's all about God's grace. He wanted his funeral to be a reflection of, of Jesus Christ and the grace of God. And it all pointed to him. No one can boast There will be no one walking around heaven strutting like a peacock, doing high fives, saying, I did it, I did it, I made it, amen, I'm here on my own. Never, never, never. One writer, Tom Holliday, asked the question, why didn't God offer salvation by works? And then he answers his question, two reasons. First, it wouldn't have worked because none of us could be good enough to reach God on our own effort. We think we can. We might compare ourselves to someone else and say, Hey, compared to that guy, I'm, I'm in pretty good shape. Secondly, salvation by our works would appeal to our pride and not to our humility. People hear that salvation is a free gift and think it sounds too simple. Oh, that's just too simple. Just receive Christ. That's just too simple. But if they hear that there's something that they have to do, That appeals to their pride, and that seems attractive. If you tell someone that they have to push a peanut up Mount Everest with their big toe to attain salvation, they might just say, I'll do it. I can do that. Paul reminds us that salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Oh, you know, and by the way, if uh, salvation was based upon the good things that we do, how would you ever know if you've done enough? What does it mean? I mean, three good deeds a week? Or would it be three good deeds a day? Or why would it be three? Could we pop that up to ten good deeds a day? Or why would it not be 50 good deeds a day? Or should it be a hundred good deeds a day? What a way to live my whole life wondering if I'm doing enough, enough, enough. And in the end, discovering, like Isaiah 64 says, all of it's like dirty rags. It just doesn't mean anything. Basically, the scripture is saying that's not the heart of God. That's not the heart of God for us to try to make it on our own when he's already provided. What an insult to God that we try to provide a way when he's already provided the way. Here, Lord, uh, look at this. Do you like this? Isn't this good? Uh, do, Do you like what I'm doing now? That doesn't satisfy the heart of God. He wants us to accept his perfect righteousness, and that's Jesus. He's the perfect righteousness of God. He has a plan. He has a solution to the sin problem, and it's in his son, Jesus God is saying, you don't need to solve the sin problem. Uh, you, You just simply need to accept my gift because it's grace all the way and you can receive it. So the masterpiece is initiated by grace. The masterpiece is not created by human effort. Thirdly, the masterpiece has the creative touch of the master. Paul says, for we are God's masterpiece He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. Uh, Friends, um, do you want a compliment? Do you want an affirmation? That's what filled my heart when I I read verse 10. I hope you feel it too this morning. It's beautiful. As Paul says, remember uh, our condition. Remember our condition. That was the beginning of chapter 2. How we were all dead. And he was so clear on how we become alive. And that's through Jesus Christ. And he reminds us that grace flows to us to, to not get caught in the performance-based thing. But at the end of it all, Paul is so excited and he's so affirming and so honoring as to who we are. It's our identity. He's so He so blesses us with what he says about us. I mentioned what F.F. Bruce said about this verse. The best translation of the verse is poema or poem, which could be translated his work of art, his masterpiece. We are God's works of art. Wow. How in the world could you receive a better blessing or a better affirmation than that? masterpiece. You're his masterpiece. Maybe this is the highest praise in all the Bible heaped upon the follower of Christ that we are God's masterpieces. We should never forget it that we are his masterpieces. You can travel around the world And you can look at all the beauty. You can look at the beautiful Rockies. You can look at the scenic prairies. You can look at beauty in every country of the world. You can look at the solar system and see the beauty of of God's creation. And you can look at human life. Psalm 139, verse 13. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship... Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. But even beyond all of God's creation, there is another creation that tops it all. It is the recreation of every follower of Christ. He has created us anew. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. You are the delight of God. And when you receive his forgiveness and his grace... And when you forgive yourself, and you start the new journey with Him, what Christ is doing in your life is absolutely beautiful. Better than all the rest of all of God's creation, His recreating work in your life. Uh, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, He is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. So in Christ, we are of incalculable value. Our, our worth is beyond comprehension in Christ. And sometimes that's hard for us to get a hold of. And we need to, to somehow convince ourselves of that over and over again that when we are in Jesus, in the heavenlies, when we are in Christ, that we are of untold worth. And maybe the challenge is because we're so busy. Uh, Maybe the stresses and toils of this life do a number on us. They they tear away some of our dignity. They tear away some of our self-worth. And before long, we begin to doubt who we really are. We begin to doubt our worth. We've been so logged into this world. Some of us have had things happen that make us doubt our worth. Maybe we have experienced physical abuse or sexual abuse or verbal abuse, or PTS, or maybe we've been in a catastrophe, maybe a serious accident, maybe in a war, maybe a natural disaster, whatever it might be. And it takes some inner healing to know that you are God's masterpiece. And our prayer is that God would release that beautiful person that is inside of you. But I want to underscore this for this morning. We are God's masterpiece He has created us anew in Christ. We are his work of art. Every one of us. And we're on a journey. Michelangelo was once asked what he was doing as he was chipping away at a shapeless rock. And he replied, I'm liberating an angel from this stone. Yeah, he could see it. I'm liberating an angel from this stone. That's what God's doing with us. He's chipping away. He's He's sculpting away because he sees the beautiful person inside of us. He sees who he's made anew in his son, Jesus Christ. And he sees the masterpiece and he's chipping away. He's chipping away until this masterpiece is evident to all. (coughs) How does he do it? Well, he uses his word a lot. And if you find yourself in the Word a lot, you'll keep getting shaped and formed. It's amazing how the Scripture shapes your life. And He uses the Holy Spirit to shape us as He talks to us. And He uses our quiet times. And He uses our meditative moments. And He uses our journaling. And He uses times when we actually memorize the Scripture And he uses our times when we we have conversational prayer with him—not just us talking, but stopping to listen and to hear his voice uh, speaking into our hearts. And sometimes he uses difficulties. And sometimes he uses very difficult people. And out of that comes a development of our character. And he uses people like a Billy Graham. And he uses people like an awesome grandma or a wonderful uncle, or a great friend, whoever. And their lives speak such inspiration and courage for us to move ahead on the road that God has given to us. We're God's painting. Can you imagine an easel? I wanted to I wanted to talk to Tiffany. I never got to, to talk to her, but I wanted her to bring a, uh, an easel like that and a canvas this morning and just make it so clear to us that, that God is painting on the canvas of our lives. That he takes out his brush. And that he chooses just the, the right paint. He's got just the right colors and he's got the right tones. And he gives us uniquely what is best for us to live out the painting that, that he is creating. And the canvas is different for each one of us. No one can explain it. Uh, but it's what God's doing. Your canvas is different than my canvas. And sometimes the colors are bright and celebrative. Sometimes the, the tones are darker, reflecting the difficult years. And inside of those colors and shapes are the great disappointments of life and the great victories of life. It's all, it's all there. Different shades for our lives. Some go through life, the picture of health, and some go through life facing great pain. Some people find economic success, and others don't. And if you tried to figure it out, how it all works together, you would be beside yourself. But God paints our canvas. We try to take the brush from him at times and say, no, it's got to be this way. (laughs) And God is gracious. And even those sudden jerks on the brush, he shapes that into part of, of the painting. None of us dare say we understand it all, but it's enough to know that God sees the masterpiece, that we're God's poema, his masterpiece, and we're being shaped. Oh, and hey, parents, so are your kids. They're being shaped too. They're poema as well, they're masterpieces also. They each have their own canvas. Treat each canvas with great dignity, they're all different. You can't raise them the same because they're all different. There isn't a one-size-fits-all. Adjust the training accordingly. Some want to do everything just right. Oh, just to a T. I just wouldn't want to let you down a little bit. Some of our kids are like that. I wouldn't want to fail you for even an inch to come short. Very sensitive hearts. And others will step over the line at every turn. Oh, those rascals. But they're poema. They're masterpieces. They're both masterpieces. And we try to figure out a way, like Michelangelo, how to liberate the angel from the stone. We have a wonderful book that we're reading these days in staff. It's called Whisper uh, by Mark. uh, That's actually Batterson instead of Patterson. Mark Batterson. And uh, it's a great book. He talks about eight different kinds of smart. (coughs) People are smart in different ways. Kids are smart in different ways. Eight types of intelligence. Some are word smart. They're really good with words. Some are number smart. They're really good at math. Some are picture smart. They're, they're artists. Some are body smart. They're athletes. Some are music smart. They're really good at music. Some are people smart. They're really good at relationships. Some are self smart. They're very aware of themselves. And some are nature smart. They're very aware of creation and they have a great love for creation. I like those categories because they remind us as parents to understand that our children are created a certain way and to encourage them in their bents and their giftings and in their discovery of how God made them differently. One will be very gifted and coordinated in every way and upfront and outgoing. And the next is quiet and retiring and dreamy and artsy. That's, that's the canvas that God has for our kids. But we are his workmanship. We, he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he's planned for us long ago. Let me just quickly say a word about that last phrase, and then we're done. So we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. Paul says it's not good works that saves us. We know that. But after we come to Christ, in the process of being created anew, it's natural for the good works to begin to flow. In fact, the whole flow of life changes for us when we're made new in Christ. We're given a new job description. And uh, it's, it's your gifts and your abilities and, and what you are to do and the place you are to serve. And, and there's only one of you. and God pours into your life some of those, some of those uh, job description qualities. and uh, He's given you a personality and a gifting and a temperament that suits perfectly for He wants where He wants you to serve Him. And so we need to wait upon the Lord and just ask the Lord the questions, Lord, how do you want to guide me?" What do you want to say to me? What do you want my life to look like? And we turn to passages like Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians 12 and, and uh, Romans 12 and, and you get some clues on the gifts of, of the Spirit. And to find some people around you that you trust and say how do you think God made me? What, what gifts do you see evident in my life? So we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. So did you know You're God's masterpiece. The masterpiece is initiated by grace. The masterpiece is not created by human effort. And the masterpiece has the creative touch of the master. Let's stand together as we pray. Father, you are such an awesome God. And I guess this morning what we'd just love to say thank you for is the grace that you give to each of us through Jesus Christ. Forgive us where we have have tried to substitute something else for your grace. Our own goodness, our own good works. Oh, Lord, forgive us. We are your poema. We are your works of art through your grace, through your recreation. And Father, we will never get over the wonder of of your grace. We thank you for it. No wonder we call it amazing grace. And uh, Lord, you take us as we are and you make us into what you want us to be and the plan is for us to spend eternity with, with you. Lord, we're so grateful that we don't have to earn our way, but it's the amazing grace of God that Saved a wretch like me, I once was lost, but now am found, blind, but now I see. So Lord, thank you for every person listening, for the matchless grace of Jesus Christ for every person, for the work that you're doing in every life to call us to yourself, and to use these days on this planet as the very best, as your masterpieces. What a privilege, what an honor. Thank you again